Be seated. So I was I was reluctant to come this morning. Um, you see, a lot of you are still mad at me from last week for telling you that Jesus was not born in a stable, so I didn't know if I could come back or not. Uh, so uh, even though the theme for this morning is Nazareth, uh, the early years, I'm not going to tell you that Jesus really wasn't a carpenter, so uh, he was really a stonemason. But we won't even go there. You can watch the video or talk about it in your small group. But instead, we're going to talk about weddings. So weddings, always a big event. I was at a wedding yesterday. I officiated a wedding yesterday up in Burlington, Wisconsin uh, for one of our members beautiful venue there. What's ironic was I've only had four weddings this year. Last year I had 13, so I had a whole, whole bunch more. But I could have had three weddings yesterday, actually this weekend, but one was supposed to be in Colorado and two were supposed to be in Wisconsin. Obviously, I, I can't be in more than one place at a time. So this was the one that I had agreed to about a year and a half ago. What I always tell people, just like for me, that in a wedding things might go wrong. How many of you had, had things go wrong at your own wedding? And I'm not talking about the person you married, all right? All right? Yeah. Uh, with the ceremony or, you know, people didn't show up or this or that. So some of you know what I'm talking about. Things can go wrong, right? Things can go wrong. So I always tell the bride and the groom ahead of time in the counseling, just be prepared. You know, something might go wrong, and then most of the time it doesn't. And so if it doesn't, uh, then it's an added blessing. If it does go wrong, well, then you're prepared. Many years ago, there was a, a wedding where everything was just flowing along beautifully, great service, uh, bride and groom looked amazing, and, and it was just a beautiful day until at the very end, you know, when you do the, the kiss, right? I always, I always pronounce them to be husband and wife, and then I say, it's always a cue for the, for the DJ or whoever's doing the music, sir, you may kiss the bride. And then, of course, you have that wonderful kiss for the pictures. And just as they were doing that, uh, the little ring bearer, he was the, the nephew of the bride, he's about five years old, and he does what a five-year-old would do, right? He goes, yuck! <laughs> and that's what everybody did, right? They laughed, and that was, that was a, a great moment. They all were grinning later on. A great memory, even though it didn't go quite according to plan. So weddings are a wonderful thing today and always and probably even more so in the culture uh, of Jesus' day. So as we look at this miracle, Jesus' first miracle, as he turns water into wine, we need to first consider the scene. So you have an entire village. Where I grew up in Missouri, this was, this was not unusual either. Pretty much the entire town would come out for a wedding. So I grew up in a town of, of 300 people, and we probably had about that many farmers as well. So about five or 600 people would all crowd into the local American Legion Hall or the VFW or whatever we had, and, and you'd just have a, a huge party. And so it was in Jesus' day as well. Now, a couple of differences. One was the invitation would usually come from the groom. Today, of course, we get, we get things in the mail, or actually, we really don't that much anymore, do we? Right? And, and even, you know, the RSVP, it used to be, you're invited, so-and-so, you've got to pick, pick what you're going to eat, and, you know, you're plus one or whatever. 
now it's all QR code, just like we do, you know, in, in, in the bulletin here. It's, it's all electronic. But in that day, if there was an invitation, it would have been sent by the groom. Because it was the father of the groom who would foot the bill. Now, in different cultures, things are different. For the most part, years ago, here in America, who was it that paid for the wedding? The bride's father, the bride's family. It's the old dowry custom. But, but in those days, it was really the, the equivalent of paying the bride's father for the bride because now she was going to be with her husband. And they didn't just have the, the ceremony, but they would celebrate all week long. So you would usually have the wedding on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It says in our gospel today that it was on the what? The third day. Sunday's the first day of the week, so Monday, Tuesday, it's on a Tuesday. Because you can't travel on the Sabbath. So the wedding that I had yesterday up in Wisconsin, I couldn't have gone. You travel, travel on the Sabbath on a Friday, wedding's on a Saturday, can't do it. So it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Because you're going to party all week long. For an entire seven days, you can't break the Sabbath then on Friday or Saturday. Now, as they, they had the ceremony, it would usually be in the evening. You remember the, the story in the Gospels about the bridegroom and the seven virgins, those bridesmaids who didn't keep their wick lit. And it's based on reality. You'd have the, the wedding in the evening, it would be dark, and then the bride and the groom would travel throughout the village. The groom would come, pick up the bride at her house, and then he would go throughout the entire village so that you could then say congratulations. I would call it the world's longest receiving line, <laughs> a little different than what we do in the churches today. So they would party for a week then, and that's what we have in Cana. Now, we just heard the story in the gospel. Jesus is there with his disciples. Mary is there. She's probably a relative or a good friend, either the bride or the groom. The entire family, the entire village is there. And then the yuck moment. And what is it? Horror of horrors. They ran out of wine. You just can't do that in any wedding, but especially in a Jewish wedding. You cannot run out of wine. This was the greatest faux pas that you could ever do. In fact, hospitality in the East is a sacred duty. You never offend your guests, even if they are your enemy. Even if they're a stranger, if someone comes to your house, you are obligated to give them food and drink. And so they're about to run out of wine, Mary, evidently, is in charge of the servants. She goes to Jesus because he is now the head of the household. Mary's husband, Joseph, evidently is, is dead and gone, so she goes to Jesus. What should we do? And his famous reply, woman. <laughs> and we often think of that as a derogatory term, but it's not in that culture. Term of respect. It's like saying mother. Why do you involve me, he asked, because my time has not yet come. Not yet time for me to begin my ministry. And yet, because of the circumstances, he begins. 
And so, even though Mary doesn't completely understand yet who Jesus is, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, she tells the servants what? Do whatever he tells you. Isn't that great advice? <laughs> Do whatever he tells you. Now, the story is about the turning the water into wine, but we could spend a whole sermon just on those few little words. How would your life be different if you just did whatever God told you? Probably would be far better. Love God? Yeah, maybe I ought to do that. Love my neighbor? Yeah, maybe I ought to do that. Follow the commandments? Remember the Sabbath day? We did a whole series on how our week goes better when we begin right here in God's house. Honor your father and mother, kids. That's a pretty good commandment as well. Do what Jesus tells you. So Jesus then told the servants, go fill these ceremonial pots of water uh, or go, go fetch these ceremonial pots of water. Now, remember, people came from a long distance. We know that Jesus and his disciples are from, from Nazareth. Others are from Capernaum, from Bethsaida, all around the Sea of Galilee. They've come for this wedding. Now, it's good hygiene to wash your hands. They probably washed their feet as well because they're wearing sandals. But it's not about that. Just like last week, we talked about in the cave where, where those lambs were born and where Jesus would be born later. They had to remain ceremonially or ritually pure. For the lambs, it was so that they would not have a spot or blemish, so they would make the perfect sacrifice. But for the people at the wedding, they also would be impure, and you don't want to spoil the whole wedding by being impure. So they would wash their hands. Water that was poured out of these, these huge containers, 20 or 30 gallons apiece, into a little pail or a little basin, and they would wash their hands. So do the math. Six stone jars of water, each one containing 20 or 30 gallons. And now the miracle of water into wine. How much wine is that, anybody? 120 to 180 gallons. Think about that. 180 gallons of wine. Of course, it's a whole village, and they're going to party for seven days. What a tremendous thing that Jesus has done. But as we take a look at this, we're going to see that it's not so much the miracle but the sign. Before we get to that, though, here's our first memory verse. Do whatever he tells you. Because when the Lord steps in, when you do what he tells you, big things happen. God always does things in a big way. Jesus has more in mind for your life than what you can imagine. So often we make our goals, and they're of the physical and the material and the earthly. And God wants to do so much more. So that's the scene. We've got the story. But what I want you to see today again is that there is more to the story. So let's take a look at the meaning behind the scene. Of all the Gospels, John probably more than any other 
wants you to look behind the scenes. He doesn't tell the story just for its narrative value. Now, would you say that it's a good story, turning 180 gallons of water into wine? Raise your hand if that's a good story. You can tell that one. That'd be a pretty good miracle, right? But it's not the point. And John always has a point to make. And it's this. This wedding at Cana is not about the miracle. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about the miracle. Can you do that? It's not about the miracle. Really? How many of you have had miracles in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, I have two. Now, we might disagree on what the miracles are. How many of you have ever been healed from a disease? Anybody? I have from cancer. Pretty miraculous, especially when it happens to you, right? How many of you have been driving along at night or at any time, and it looked like you were about to be in an immediate accident, and miraculously, right, it didn't happen? Did it ever happen to you? A lot of us. Some of you are just really bad drivers, so I don't know about that. But, yeah, that's a miracle. How many of you have had just something come out of the blue, maybe an answer to a prayer, maybe it was a job, maybe it was to have that baby that you didn't think you could ever have, maybe it was to restore a relationship. Has any of those things ever happened to you? Raise your hand. Yeah. Lots of miracles. Now I'm saying it to you. It's not about the miracle. As wonderful as that is. I mean, if you've been healed from cancer or something, <laughs> that's pretty important. If you wanted to have a baby all your life and you couldn't, and then miraculously a little bundle of joy came around, that's pretty special. You weren't hit by that truck or that car. <laughs> that is life transforming, and yet it's not the miracle. It is the sign, John says. In fact, he doesn't even call this a miracle. He calls it a sign because signs always point to something. What happens if you're driving along before GPS, perhaps, and there is a sign and you are supposed to go this particular direction and you go the other way? You don't reach your destination. The sign is always pointing you to where you ought to go. And in this case, where you ought to go is to understand that this is all about revealing the glory of God. That's the word in the Greek. It is doxa, doxology. Some of you remember the old doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's praise. It's giving glory to God. It has this idea of, of radiance and light. It's when uh, the glory appeared to the shepherds there, there in the fields of Bethlehem, and they saw the light. It's when the wise men saw the star. But it wasn't about the light. It was about pointing them in the direction of the newborn king. And so also, this glory is what is revealed. That is the sign. Now, we know this today from looking backward. But what I want you to see, just as we did last week, and why it really is important that Jesus was born in a cave and not in a stable, is that this sign points backward, first of all, to another sign. All the Jews, those who would have read this, 
understood that Moses was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And yet there was a prophecy that one day, one greater than Moses would come along and he would be the Messiah. And this would be a sign, just like the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So let's go back to our Old Testament lesson today. Pharaoh, he has all the people of God in captivity. They are slaves in Egypt. God tells him, let my people go. He says, no, I won't do it. And so God sends the Redeemer, the Savior, if you will, the one who is going to lead them into freedom, and that is Moses. So what's the very first sign? We read about it earlier. You heard about it earlier. Anybody? He turns water into blood. Water is turned into blood. It is a sign of judgment and death. Pharaoh is disobeying God, and so there is going to be judgment and there is going to be death. In fact, when everything is turned into blood, it's not just the Nile River, but the streams and the canals and the ponds, even the water that is in the ceremonial sacred jugs of Egypt. You see where this is going? The water is turned to blood and there is death. So much death, all the fish in the river die and the stench is incredible. But it's not just one sign, there are ten. Does anybody remember what comes after the blood? Go back tonight and look up Exodus chapter 7. Frogs. Frogs everywhere. Now, frogs are nice little creatures. I've got them in my backyard. But they were in the bedchambers. They were in the houses. They were everywhere. Can you imagine if there were frogs everywhere? They're going to bring the gnats. And then the flies. And then the livestock are going to die. And then there are boils and all the people. And if that isn't enough, then God sends hail from the sky. And all the vegetation is killed and whatever is not killed, then the locusts come and they eat the wrath. And then finally darkness comes along over all the land. And finally the firstborn of all the Egyptians die. This Pharaoh has disobeyed. And all the Jews know this sign. And now Jesus comes along. And he points the way to the glory of God. Reversing the curse. Now turning water into wine. And so if that first sign of Moses was all about judgment and death. This sign of Jesus is all about grace and life. The entire Old Testament continually talks about this feast that is to come. It's like wine that is flowing down the mountain, far more than just 120 or 150 or 180 gallons. But it deluged. It would be like raining this... Oh, it is raining this morning. But it would be... Isaiah points the picture. He paints this picture of, of a great feast, of a great table overflowing with wine and, and meat and the abundance of life. 
Later, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, not death. For my blood, which is shed on the cross, that blood is not going to bring death to you, but it's going to bring death to me, Jesus said. And not judgment to you, but judgment to me, Jesus said. Because I'm going to die in your place so that you may have forgiveness, life, and salvation. So you can have a relationship with, with me and my Father, not only in this life, but forever. And it's not going to be a banquet that just this village celebrates at a wedding, but it's going to be a celebration of all people, and not just Hebrews, but, but Gentiles like those wise men. And for all people of all ages, and the entire village of humanity, and celebrate this great gift. As we read in our epistle this morning, the old is gone, and the new has come. Fine. That you were changed. That you're different. No longer that sinner, no longer that enemy of God, but reconciled to be not only a friend, but a child, brothers and sisters in Christ. And for the purpose, then, to be ambassadors, to go out. And so here we are once again. We're at a mini-feast, aren't we? Celebrating with, with the family of God, receiving uh, the richness of the Word of God, being filled, even to overflowing, for the purpose of going out. And that's what we're going to do today. At 11 o'clock, a lot of us are going to be gathering right here for this fall Sunday of service. And we're going to go out into the community, and we're going to, to help our neighbors and our friends, and even perfect strangers. But whether you are involved in that today, you are an ambassador. Tomorrow, when you go to work and you give that encouraging word to someone who's discouraged, when you put your arm around the person who is grieving because of a loss, or if you're going to school and you just smile <laughs> because so many have such heaviness on their hearts and it lightens their day, or the prayers that you will say. Now, we're going to do that here corporately, but you do that at home as well. Throughout the rest of the week, you lift up <laughs> literally all those people who are important to you. And just as you have been transformed, your words of encouragement and your deeds and your prayers have the same opportunity and the same power to transform another's life. And not just in the material and in the earthly, but in the divine and the heavenly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and you are, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I pray that this day and every day, that as you are filled with the miracle of God, that you too would be a sign pointing others to him. Amen? Let's all rise. Let's make profession.